This episode is brought to you by WeatherGuard Lightning Tech. At WeatherGuard, we support design engineers and make lightning protection easy. You're listening to the Struck Podcast. I'm Dan Blewett. I'm Alan Hall. And here on Struck, we talk about everything aviation, aerospace engineering, and lightning protection. All right, welcome back to the Struck Podcast. I'm your co-host, Dan Blewett. On today's episode, in our new segment, we'll talk about Boeing has a net positive uh, on their orders for the first time since 2019. Southwest is looking to order 300 737 Maxes, which obviously ties into both and the code recovery, which is great. In our engineering segment, we'll talk about Honeywell. They have a new turbo generator that can potentially uh, power a lot of hybrid electric aircraft in the future, which also runs on biofuel. And then our EVTOL segment, we're going to talk about eHang. A new lawsuit was filed today against them. We'll talk about the Loyal Wingman drone, which is a Boeing project out of uh, Australia. And lastly, we'll talk about lithium sulfur batteries and the implications they might have on the electric aircraft market. So, Alan, let's first talk about Boeing. This is good news. They've got net positive orders since first time since 2019. And um, it sounds like things are on the up and up. Yeah, well, at least in terms of 737 MAX sales, they're going to be, uh, because there's just going to be a huge backlog of companies that were waiting for the aircraft to get, quote unquote, recertified uh, for use again. So you're going to see that airplane explode. And they had a couple hundred sitting on the tarmac waiting to be sold since 2019, early 2020. So it's it's. There's going to be a huge surge of, uh, of sales that happen over the next year uh, to, to get that backlog into service, which makes sense, right? I mean, I don't know how Airbus is ever going to keep up with that because you, you just had those contained <laughs> contained inventory that had that had been sold that you couldn't release. And so now you can release it. That's not, you can't really compare yeah. Boeing and Airbus in that situation at all. That's not fair. That's right? fair. <laughs> yeah. So it sounds like in February, 2021, they booked 82 aircraft orders, 27 KC-46s, which was an aircraft or a Air Force order, yeah. uh, 14 747 Maxes, a 747-8, some 787 uh, Dreamliners, mm-hmm. 11 777Xs, uh, which went are going to Singapore Airlines. So, so yeah, all all in all, it sounds like you know the recovery is starting to shape up, and obviously in the stock market. And let's shift to south Southwest here. Like Southwest's uh, stock is doing very well. They're in the low 60s now. Wow. Um, you know, down. I mean, they were struggling in the summer, right? right? I mean, that was a, a scary time. Warren Buffett sold out a lot of his Southwest stock. So some pretty big recoveries. And of course, I don't, I'm not sure those are going to match like their revenues, obviously, but there's a lot of optimism. Right. right? And so, uh, and with Southwest, they're just announced that they're close to an order. It's not in the books yet for 300 737 maxes. Now, do you feel like the public is going to understand this? Because the 737 max is still this embattled, scary plane that people are probably rapidly forgetting yeah. about, but still, you know, there's that public Im- image of this is an unsafe plane. That's a really good question because there's been so much news about it. And because the name sticks, it's, it's just like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, if you say Airbus A321, I don't think that sticks, but that Met Max marketing logo stuck. So even though it's a dash mm-hmm. eight, dash nine, uh, it's, it's going to stick 
and I, I am not sure how this is going to play out in the public perception of it because you know Southwest does a pretty good job of, you know, they're flying 737s, and you know that, right? Every every airplane on Southwest is a 737. Uh, but you, you see a lot of Dash 700s and Dash 800s when the flight attendants get on the PA system and say, "Hey, we're flying in a in a Max." What does that mean? I'm not sure that's how that's going to play out yet. And I haven't seen any marketing on behalf of Southwest that's going to try to explain that. They may need to. It's it, They may need to do that. Yeah. In this, in this article by AirlineRatings.com, um, it says the Southwest order, whatever its size, would be a massive boost for Boeing. And it comes as airlines report no negative feelings toward the max from passengers. So it sounds like in, in internal surveys or whatever, people aren't really, aren't really well, concerned I'm, about I'm it. I'm a little shocked by that. Which does sound surprising. Yeah, right. Yeah, it does sound surprising. Uh, maybe because of the COVID and never, no one's traveling that it's just falling off the radar screen in terms of news. Uh, for a while there, it seemed like that's the only thing you're reading about. The, all the trouble that Boeing was having and the Boeing CEO leaving and the turmoil and going in front of Congress and all of that. Um, maybe it's been enough time and time's gone on as society's <laughs> in another place. They haven't, they're not thinking about it. That's fascinating. I, I would have thought that would have stuck a little bit longer, but that's good because of this, the Max is a is yeah. a very good airplane. It obviously is. It's it's it had now double scrutiny. Went through certification once, and then it went through certification a second time, so to speak. So probably the most regulated aircraft in American history is a seven thirty seven Max. Should be in pretty good shape, you think? Yeah, it's kind of like if there's a attack or there's a shooting somewhere pretty inundated with policemen the next day right there's a lot of security there the next day so there's that but i i think there's also just you know you're an aviation you know lifer how many people actually even heard much about the boeing 737 stuff or cared for even a second there you know like in the news cycle there's a lot of things that people it's just like maybe it's probably not as my, my point is it's probably not as sticky or as concerning as you think, obviously this was big news, but how many people are really like concerned about what aircraft they fly in or really give it a second thought when they finally get to the airport? I think business travelers do. I, I think that one particular class of, of uh, uh, passenger, the business travelers that do a lot of airplane travel, they know what airplane they're on a lot of times. And it's surprising uh, what decisions they make and what airplanes they like to fly on. Happens all the time. I, mm-hmm. I like flying the Embraer 190 because of X, Y, Z. You do see people and business class people and people buying those kinds of tickets do make selections like that. And they're a significant part of that revenue stream for an airline. Now, it's been shut down for the last year. So maybe that's why you're not seeing it so much because people on vacation don't really don't, don't seem to care that much what airplane they're on. They just know it's going from, you know, someplace cold to someplace warm like Florida. That's what they know. But the business traveler knows. And I, and that's the, that's the segment that really hasn't come back alive yet. So they, I think they still got to play that one out as the business um, flyers start to pick up in the next six months. And they may have a little more work to do than they think. Yeah. Well, one, it's also not as prominent. It's not like Uber where you call an Uber <laughs> right. and it's like, you're getting picked up in a Honda yeah. Civic, right? It's not it's not like this big button. It's not like this really heavily touted thing when you book your, like I, I booked a couple flights recently. I don't know what, what plane I'm on on for any oh, of them. really? I could certainly find this, but it wasn't, it's not like thrown in your face. Like, congratulations, you just booked an Airbus A220. Oh. It's like kind of, 
I don't know. I, I, I really don't know which ones I'm on for any of my three flights that I booked. And every time I've booked a United flight, I know what I'm on. And I do, I do select airplanes that I like to be on versus ones that I don't like to be on. Well, the info is there, yeah. but I'm just saying it's not, it's not prominent. It's hmm. not like a, a main feature where I, I'm sure I can go back yeah, and figure it sure. out in a second. And I'm sure if I was thinking about it at the moment, I would have seen it. Like when I was booking my seats, I'm sure it's like, this is a seven thirty seven dash eight aircraft. Check out, you know, sign up for right. your seat. But again, I, I obviously we do this podcast together. So I have a pretty high awareness yeah. of, you know, commercial air travel and the 737. But even then it just like, wasn't a salient feature in my booking process. Mm. It wasn't, you know, obvious where you can't miss it. You know, if you didn't know this information, if you weren't seeking the information, well, guess what? We're going to slap you in the face with it. It certainly wasn't like that. Yeah, I, I agree with you. But I do think there's a certain segment of the population that does watch it. I remember uh, traveling back mm -hmm. and forth to Ireland or Northern Ireland quite a bit. And you used to be able to either fly on a 757 single aisle Boeing airplane or you could fly on a 777. Well, the flight you want to pick, there's a 777. It's a lot more comfortable than the 757. And a lot of people have made that decision. And so it does, like I said, that business traveler is very cognizant of that, particularly on longer, longer flights. All right, so moving on to engineering today, let's talk about Honeywell's, their new uh, turbo generator. So this is really interesting because, you know, we've talked about the power density issue with EVTOLs, how batteries are just maybe not quite there yet. And so this seems like it could be a pretty viable solution, albeit maybe an expensive one. Um, but their newest turbo generator at 280 pounds, uh, it can generate a megawatt. And this is going to be able to provide some serious juice to electric engines. Alan, you have a pretty good awareness of this, um, of this turbo generator. Run us through some of the specs and what this thing can do and what its applications are. Well, just keeping it at a top level here at first is that I think one of the issues that the battery powered aircraft are going to have is one range and two, what happens if, right? Sort of that, what does that backup system look like uh, in terms of power storage? And essentially what Honeywell and a couple others are proposing is this, um, what I would term as an auxiliary power unit. Uh, it's a generator system so it's got an engine uh, burns this one burns diesel and a couple other fuels aviation fuels and creates electricity so it's it's not particularly complicated and, and at 280 pounds it's not bad on weight but uh you are paying for the all the engineering and the design and the manufacturing of such a thing so it, it's not going to be cheap to do but i'm also wondering if it's it's not the initial thing to do uh, to get the aircraft flying with all the all the bells and whistles, do you have that backup system on board? Do you eat the 280 plus pounds, let's just say all in 500 pounds, probably, uh, can you eat the 500 pounds to add more range to your aircraft? It may be worth it. And that's where Honeywell and Rolls and a couple others are headed. Are like, hey, everybody, if, if you wanna go 200 miles, can you really do it with the battery technology today? I don't think so. So here's your solution. Bam! Here's here's an off-the-shelf solution, and I think that off-the-shelf off solution, when you see like that little article we have seen, if you once you see those articles, you you have to know that the Honeywell marketing people are out pushing that to all these EVTL companies that they're they're trying to make connections and say, hey, are you willing to willing to bet a billion dollars on your battery technology or 
are you willing to take a safer route and add a, a generator? It's a lot safer. If you're betting a billion dollars, maybe you do take that option and you start as a baseline design with that Honeywell generator. That That's something that would be smart if you're betting that much money on a program. Uh, and Honeywell knows that. And they're experts at that in that field. So it, it, it'd yeah. be bringing on someone who's knowledgeable and has a very reliable product, I'm sure, uh, which is exactly what you need at this particular moment in aircraft design. And could they, so I have two questions. Number one, you said maybe it's 500 pounds all in. So what, where does that extra weight come in? That's just like the the bracket, the bracket bracketry and just getting this thing. Right. Where I, does I, that extra weight go I, from? I wasn't sure the 280 included the sort of the motor and the generator. I, I sounded like they were going to couple it with, with the other, other half of it to get. But you, yeah, you got mm-hmm. all this hardware. You got the wiring. You got all the other stuff, um, support structure. Because when you put in two, let's just say you're just putting 280 pounds, you're mounting 280 pounds. You just don't bolt that into the side of the airplane. You, know, you, you got to mm-hmm. have structure that goes around with it. So it's not just the weight of the component. It's all the other things that keep it mounted properly and all the, uh, there's plumbing going to it, right? Cause it's got fuel going to it. it there's wires coming in and out of it. So yeah, it's going to add more than just the weight of that component. And the fuel it itself. Yeah. Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. Right. And gotcha. you got to, right, which you wouldn't, wouldn't have a fuel tank on these aircraft. Now you got to put a fuel tank in, where do you put it, right? And is it crash worthy? Mm-hmm. Don't know. Right. It adds complexity. I would say 500 pounds would be on the low end of what the total additional weight would be on an aircraft when you add to the system. But if it doubles your range, do you do it? Probably yes. You probably do do it because it doubles your range and it makes your aircraft sellable in a large, larger share of the world market. Straight up, that's what it'll do. Yeah. Well, and like we talked about, then it could maybe be used for a lot of other commercial purposes, like flying offshore to an oil rig, like doing, you know, filling that helicopter, you know, segment where you might need to go a couple hundred miles. Right. The EMS segment, right. The ambulance, air ambulance things, uh, forestry, there's a whole kind, there's all other marketplaces you can enter into. Now, uh, how profitable those are are yet to be determined, but you won't be able to enter them at all unless you can increase that range and durability you know life that basically the flight time you can't do it and is this something that they could easily you know in five years or like hey battery technology is yes in good shape they can swap this out and just go all electric well yeah every, every waking moment of that aircraft company if they decide to add uh, a generator system onto it will be trying to get it off right because mm-hmm. you can take off 500 pounds is essentially what you're going to be able to do. So as battery technology comes up, the need for this goes way down. And there may be certain groups that may need it, like the air ambulances may still want it. And as an option, you may probably keep it. But for the Uber-like flights, do you need it? Maybe not. And maybe you have enough knowledge at that point because now you know what those routes really look like because you've been running for two or three years that you say, Mm -hmm. "Off, off it goes. I don't need it anymore. Yes, absolutely. You do that. (laughs) <laughs> it, yeah, it's one of those things like every waking moment of an aircraft designer is how do I cut the weight of that airplane? So I wake up in the morning and I think I have an existing airplane. Oh, oh, oh let me give you the, oh, I don't want to give you a specific example, but okay. Aircraft H. Aircraft H is out there that's selling right now. Every waking moment is trying to reduce the weight, right? Every waking moment. If I don't need that component because it doesn't do anything on my airplane, it's off. It's gone. I, I'm taking it off and I'm getting something lighter on there. 
every moment is like that. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, and I think for consumers, I know we have a lot of people who are in the aerospace industry listening to the podcast. Yeah. But for people like myself who are outsiders to it, you know, we think about a car. If you buy a car today, you're not you're not swapping. Like this isn't 1967 where you could swap in a 450, you know, later. <laughs> no. Essentially, no, no. what you bought it with is what's going to be in it, right? And yeah. so it's easy to think of the same mindset. Whereas that's not true at all. Obviously, like 747, 750, they've been in service since 1980. You have a 40 year old aircraft that's had new jet engines put on it multiple all times time. and all these upgrades, new cabin upgrade. I mean, everything's yeah. changed. So yeah. I think just for the more service level consumers, you know, like myself, it's interesting to think about how swappable some of this stuff is. And like you said, if there's a new, better lavatory seat that weighs 87 less grams, they're going to put that on in two years or whatever, right? <laughs> yes, they are. Any anything to save weight. So yes. So yeah, that's a it's a it's a good perspective to to keep in mind for all of us all of us layman folk. So well, let's transition here since we've been talking about electric. Let's transition into EVTOL. So first on our notice, and this will be a, just a quick stopover. Ehang is officially getting sued. So um, it looks like a couple different law firms. It's a little unclear to me. One's definitely a class action. There's another, it's a call uh, for those who have suffered losses above $50,000 uh, to reach out to this another, this other law firm. Um, and uh, the complaint has a couple different things. I'll read the, the, the five main ones. So um, purported regulatory approvals in Europe and North America for its EH-216 were for use as a drone and not for carrying passengers. Right. Um, that Ehang had a relationship with purported uh, prior, that their primary customer is a sham, uh, that they've only collected on a fraction of its reported sales, um, and that they've been uh, their manufacturing facilities were practically empty and lacked evidence of advanced equipment and employees. And as a result, some of their public statements were materially false and misleading to shareholders. Right. So this is obviously directly, it seems like tied to the Wolfpack research stuff, which we talked about before, right. but now they're moving forward with a lawsuit. And so I don't know that this provides any more legitimacy because we still don't know how legitimate know. the Wolfpack research stuff is. Right. We don't know, but are you know these law firms gonna get um, engaged in this if there's no merit whatsoever? I'm not sure, you know, I have no experience in law and I don't know, but this is certainly an interesting result because now Ehang is going to have to defend itself in court. There's going to be the whole, um, you know, exploratory period. Is that, is that right. what it's called? Yeah. Right. Where to take depositions and they're going to have to make good on their claims and Ehang is going to provide evidence of their position. So some interesting stuff will come out of here and we'll figure out what's true and what's not, I suppose. Well, I mean, you may never ever figure out what's true or not, but I, I think what happens in financial disclosures is that, in the, at least in the United States, you don't want to make false disclosures or you're seen as making things that may be interpreted as false, right? So you'd be very careful. When you see financial disclosures made by any corporation in the United States are usually very direct and do not make uh, extravagant claims without having a lot of data to back it up because this stuff happens, right? So you want to sort of downplay what you think your perspectives are going forward. And, and if, you, if you ever read financial statements about a company, they're very dry and bland for the most of them because they're trying to make sure they can back up everything they say. And, and they'll say like, hey, this is forward looking information and we're not, you know, things change and we can't guarantee, none of this is guaranteed. But if you're, if you're making statements that 
um, that become sort of indefensible, you got to be really careful. You got to be able to back them up. Otherwise, at least in the United States, you're going to have this class action lawsuit thing pop up, which is, you know, it's part of the system. I guess it's part of the checks and balances in America. It's a weird way of doing it. Yeah, don't you think so? Like the only way to get a check and balance on a on a company is to sue them. I'm like, huh? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Not sure that's the best way to do it. Yeah. So we'll see how that evolves. It's continuing just to be an interesting situation yeah. with Ehang and just to yeah. figure out what's true and what's not, because yeah. it's certainly not the case that everything in the Wolfpack research thing was was correct. And there's some context and I'm not over in China, so I have no way of knowing. And I think most people and I've read some more articles about, you know, from people that have a position in Ehang and they're defending him and yeah. there weren't their claims their counterclaims weren't particularly strong. They're like just sort of saying, no, that's not true. No, that's not true. That's not true. They didn't, <laughs> there doesn't seem to be a lot of direct evidence besides the videos. But again, the videos could be misleading in lots of different ways. Right. So right. anyway, moving on uh, in Australia, there's a, there was an interesting test flight with the loyal wingman drone, which is a, a Boeing project for the Australian uh, Royal Air Force. And this thing has a pretty significant range. It's got swappable noses, which they can change depending on the mission. Um, they've signed an agreement of 115 million to buy three more of them, which will increase their total to six of these loyal wingmen. And hmm. Alan, I mean, you, you have some, some thoughts on the design of it and the aerodynamics of it that you, you think maybe it's not going to have a tremendous range. Is that right? Well, it, it seems like it's got to be mostly gas tank and engine because it doesn't have a lot of lifting surface to it. So it's got to go really fast to go very far. Uh, so it's, it's not going to loiter, right? It's not like a global mm -hmm. hawk, which is going to sit at 70,000 feet for hours at a time and just circle around a, a, a target or a piece of land and monitor it. It seems more like a fighter aircraft than anything else based on its base, based on its sort of layout and template. And the renewable nose things makes, makes you also think you can put different radar systems, monitoring systems in the front of it, which, which is the only reason you would change the nose if you're using different frequencies and different radar systems up front. You would have to do that. So why would you not change the nose? But mm -hmm. the the... There's sort of two interesting pieces about this. One, this is the first aircraft designed and manufactured in Australia in quite some time, which is surprising because Australia is a very industrious place and they have a lot of really good engineers there. And it just seems odd that they um, haven't built an aircraft down there in a long time. But maybe this will help kickstart that, that industry because they're more than capable of doing it. And the second part is that the loyal wingman uh, is intended to be, you know, at least on, on the top surface, it's supposed to be flying along something else, right? It's supposed to be flying as a wing, mm -hmm. wingman to yeah. an aircraft. A, a fighter jet, yeah, like yeah, a Super right. Hornet or something like that. Right, mm -hmm. so it's going to fly adjacent to it, but it's also autonomous. So I think my guess is that the autonomous part is probably more valuable to Australia than the wingman aspect of it because why do you need a person up there anyway? Um, you just don't <laughs> for most most missions you don't need a human there unless it's some sort of shooting incident where you do want to put a human out there and even in the case of the united states a lot of shooting incidents today happen off of drones and missile strikes are off drones very similar to this loyal wingman thing so it's a very interesting concept but because it is not a loitering thing it's more of a fighter jet 
autonomous fighter jet, which is fascinating. Yeah, so last on the docket here today, so lithium sulfur batteries, and uh, there's a really good article from evtol.com, and basically this new chemistry has a, a very significant impact on weight. So with lithium ion, you're looking at at the top end, maybe 265 watt hours per kilogram, whereas this company Oxus Energy uh, out of the UK, they are developing a lithium sulfur battery that is achieving 470 watt hours per kilogram, and they hope to reach 500 and then maybe 600 by 2025. Mm. But Alan, that's a pretty big um, that's a pretty big weight savings per watt hour, right? Um, and one of my questions is 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 the volume still a concern here? So even it if is. you can get weight down, it's still going to have to be physically large. Um, right. How how does that that trade off work? Well, you, you don't want to increase the volume because you just increase the size of the aircraft to contain it, right? Which as you increase the size of the aircraft, you increase drag, so it all goes negative. So even if it is more energy dense and so to speak at the volumes not down then you're sort of losing part of its advantage i mean you would like to get more energy density and you have a smaller package more energy in a smaller package that's ideally what you want um all all these different sort of battery variants all have pluses and minuses right and the difficulty is going to be that for the any sort of new battery technology you're going to need a whole new set of control systems to monitor it and to properly deliver power out of it so the battery is one piece it's just like all the tesla uh work that goes on so a lot of tesla's innovation obviously is in making the batteries but it's also in the battery monitoring system and power usage system to control the recharging and the discharging of the batteries to maximize the lifespan that's going to exist on lithium sulfur batteries or any other kind of batteries it's you know once you get the chemistry there you can get it in a package form it's all the other software electronic monitoring systems you're going to need to make it work properly particularly on an aircraft right because your worst your worst event on an airplane is fire so you, you don't want to have a fire you want to have systems that prevent fires from battery overheating and and making sure you're properly you know sectioning off batteries that may have problems and all that kind of stuff so there's a lot of other things than just the battery chemistry I, i'm just curious because you know we've you, you've seen you've been in this weird pause in sort of battery technology so to speak, I mean, we've watched Tesla make some improvements in the last uh, Elon Musk discussion about batteries, which was last summer, I think, uh, mm-hmm. was more about just sort of increasing the manufacturing throughput and getting the getting things more manufacturing, um, uh, be able to, to quickly manufacture them and make it a little bit denser and just turn to be able to pack them together. It wasn't really a change in the structure of the battery or what the elements are in the battery. It's just basically design elements around it. Uh, and then this lithium sulfur thing's popped up recently where there's been discussion about using it in cars. But I think the other piece to it is, is that it can be made almost anywhere because the ingredients are sort of in the soil anywhere. So you could put a battery factory in since almost anywhere on the planet uh, to make these things. So... Uh, why is not a uh, Elon Musk sort of grabbing onto that, right? When is that going to happen? Yeah, that's a good question. And and to be uh, to correct my own like 
I'm not saying that this is has a higher volume for the same. I mean, this is twi- almost twice as almost twice as energy dense. Um, for me, just looking at different avenues, um, yeah. I mean, there's no nothing in this article that says that it's higher in volume. That it's just it's just essentially twice as energy dense. Yeah. But it's not just the batteries. It's very similar to the 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 auxiliary power units or generators, like the Honeywell generator. It's 280 pounds, but it's all the other stuff you need to make it work, right? It's not the batteries themselves. I mean, although that's probably a significant part of the weight and problems that you have to deal with. It's all the other stuff you need to do to make it work, right? And that's where the whole, as a system, is it work together as a system? And what does that what does that look like as a system? Is it weight effective, cost effective, right? Can I manufacture it inexpensively, relatively inexpensively? Is it aerospace quality? It means does it last a long time? All those little all those little bits and bobs, need all those little boxes need to get checked, and we're not there yet, right? And that's what that's what the engineering people are doing right now. They're saying, well, the technology is great, but what are the what are the downsides of this, and can I live with the downsides? Don't know yet. We still don't know yet. All right. Well, that'll do it for today's episode of Struck. If you're new to the show, thank you so much for listening. And please leave a review and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Check out the WeatherGuard Lightning Tech YouTube channel for video episodes, full interviews, and short clips from the show. And follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Our handle is at WGLightning. Tune in next Tuesday for another great episode on aviation, aerospace engineering, and lightning protection. Strike Tape, WeatherGuard Lightning Tech's proprietary lightning protection for radomes, provides unmatched durability for years to come. If you need help with your radome lightning protection, reach out to us at weatherguardaero.com. That's weatherguardaero.com.